Hello, this is Alistair Stewart. And this is Brock Wilbur. And you're listening to Carrying Into the Void, the podcast where we get together, tell each other about a weird or dark story we've heard, and then try and find the silver lining, or flip it into something that, while possibly not positive, will at least be productive. How are you doing, Brock? I look forward to the, the first time that somebody gets 10 seconds into this podcast and is like, Carrying Into the Void, that's not what I wanted. What? Nurturing helpful things? Fuck that shit! How dare you! <laughs> That's not what I come to the internet for. Compassion, helpfulness, this is bullshit. Then they flip their laptop <laughs> and their mom yells something about how they're banned from Strawberry Quick for the next three weeks and they cry. <laughs> I do want somebody to, just, to one day do the self-care of like, no, not today. I don't need any help. I'm doing well enough. Nope, I'm good. <laughs> do you have a story for us this week? Yes, I do. Uh, I've had my art head on this week. So. We need to start with the first ever Red Dwarf novelization, because there's a moment in there that has stayed with me my whole life. It is the exact moment that Dave Lister realizes he is in love with Christine Kachansky. Standing in the lunch queue, a colleague behind Kachansky notes that she's learning Japanese, and asks whether she doesn't think that's a little pretentious, and Kachansky turns, smiles, puts a hand to her chest in mock shock, and says, Pretentious? Watashi? That self-awareness is nuclear levels of comedic perfection. It is also the perfect description of the liminal spaces, the spaces between the past and the present, between life and death, and between art and pretension, and even between frames, that the afterlight lives in. The afterlight is a movie made of movies. It is directed by Charlie Shackleton and has cinematography by Robbie Ryan, and it is a film about what happens after movies end and stars die. Shackleton has assembled hundreds of clips of deceased movie actors and cut them together into a hallucinatory, weirdly calm exploration of the life that waits for everyone after the credits roll. There are familiar faces and newcomers. They're all united in the, cel in the celluloid immortality that they have been granted, and they're all trapped on these Serling-esque backlots. It's very Carnival of Souls in a lot of places, very unusually deserted empty spaces. These notional spaces, in fact, connect into notional worlds, and all those worlds lead to a bar, the afterlight, or rather the idea of a bar. Shackleton cutting elements of multiple movies together, so Polish stars the big new Chabolski is sharing space with Bogart, and both are being served by William Hartnell, because who else would be behind a bar in a place that transcends space and time like that than the first Doctor? Interestingly as well, the Afterlight sequence, the moments in the movie which feature the, uh, the exterior of the Afterlight bar, are the only part that's new. These were shot specifically for it, and I am just intoxicated by the idea of using this single piece of new material as a metaphorical and thematic and actual net and framework within which to place everything else. Shackleton, the director, is a really interesting cat. Like the film, he... He kind of sits on the boundary line between pretentious and brilliant. He once released a 10-hour movie of paint drying to protest certification fees in the UK. So, it, Charlie has a lot of feelings, I think is the best way to describe <laughs> it. Um, he does some fun sleight of hand here, too. The Afterlight's external sequences, like I say, the only part filmed in you for the cut. And the rest of the time, it's snippets of time. It's Polaroids of other lives, which themselves are impersonations of other lives stitched into a movie that's one part mixtape and one part meditation. Now, all of that by itself would be fascinating. I mean, I've talked before about stuff like Dawson City Frozen in Time, 
and how fascinating and important and weird and, and honestly kind of unsettling movies like this are in the windows that they offer into the past. But I haven't quite got to the Kachansky moment, because here is the Kachansky moment. One copy of The Afterlight exists. It's a 35mm print, and it is touring this year. It will degrade as it plays. One day, it will be unrecognisable. And then, those celluloid ghosts will join their friends in Dawson City. And, lost my place remote, I meant, one day it will be unrecognisable. And then, those celluloid ghosts will join their friends in Dawson City. And they will be rendered into ideas. Ideas into images. Images into ghosts. Ghosts into art. Pretentious? Yes. Do I want to see it? Hell yes. So where do I see it? I will put the tour details in the show notes. And I'll also oh, send them to you before the show goes live. There is one showing near me in about four weeks. I think I have to go. Can you bring it with you when you come to the U.S. later this year? For I, a live recording uh, at a concert hall. I could try. <laughs> Because uh, like it, it's, it feels it's like not it me, right? Happy this is to just... know that somebody had like filmed it on their phone and put it on YouTube. That feels like the, the a good culmination of his ideology. <laughs> <laughs> Here is this film which embraces the concept of entropy. Cool. It's just under this Logan Paul video. Charlie, Charlie, why are you crying? Charlie. <laughs> Do you have a caring to go with that? I do. The logical move here, the one you're conditioned to believe, is that every moment matters. Live every day like it's your last. Embrace everything. And there is wisdom in that. But the afterlight embodies a different story for you to be part of. One concerned with less, much less with how you live your life and more with the image your life leaves. We are all extras on empty lots we're all waiting for the curtain to rise for our moment to come and we're all so conditioned to focus on that that we don't think about what happens after it capitalism t trains us all to gouge our mark into the world compassion tells us to make something better for those following us to borrow the best line in any roland emmerich movie he will ever make to change the world to help as many as you can the afterlight for me builds on that it tells you to trust not only in our instincts and in what we do with them, but in the immortality we are offered by memory. The images we leave behind will be used by others however they see fit, and you have the luxury of not caring about that. Your job, my job, all of our jobs is to tell the best story. To leave behind the best bricks for the next kid who gets the Lego. That's the only version of fame itself, a sweaty, palmed, needy version of immortality that I think is worth a damn. Our reassurance comes from knowing other stories will always follow, and that sometimes we will have roles in those stories we could never imagine, and that will change people in ways we never dreamed. Paint the canvas. Write the song. Live the life. Simply doing so will help more people than you will ever know, because what comes after light is not darkness, but the image of what and who has gone before. You son of a bitch. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, dude, I'm sorry. Oh, my God. <laughs> so I liked that one. Let, let me give that as feedback. What you said was very nice and pleasant, and I enjoyed hearing it. <laughs> Thank you. 
I I have to be honest. This this idea, this movie, this got me in a very similar way. I find it incredibly reassuring in a sense. And I mean, as someone who is fifteen years out from being an active service Catholic, and I'm going to Rome later this year, so I'm fairly certain the RFID chip's going to be turned back on. Uh oh. You don't think there is one? I've walked into the Vatican with people who have never been in a church in their life off my left shoulder, and they've been waved through. <laughs> the, the Pope fucking puts them in there, man. It's in the wafers. Are As crisps, are they just that good, or...? <laughs> they slightly of paprika. <laughs> smash, smash cut to a siren somewhere in the afterlife. Yeah, Alistair's going to hell. Cool. Not entirely surprised. <laughs> But no, I as as someone who's like fifteen years out from from being active service Catholic, I, I I engage with this kind of stuff an awful lot. Also, I'm I'm kind of morbid, but I just I find this I find the, this idea incredibly reassuring. There's a quote which I first encountered in a Matt Fraction scripted Fantastic Four comic that I love, and it's been used a lot of the time, and I think actually comes from one of the fathers of nihilism. And uh, I'm not I am not nihilistic anywhere apart from where my where I'm concerned like we talked about last week, and I'm working on that. But this quote, I think, transcends its nihilistic roots, and it's, um, if nothing we do matters, all that matters is what we do. And uh, I think about that a lot, and I really like the idea of a movie like this built of these stolen little moments from people who are vitally important to the people in their lives becoming vitally important in different ways. I find that fiercely reassuring and fun and funny in that kind of way that the best jokes are i love fucking love william hartnell's behind the bar you know tell me your director is is an english nerd without telling me your director is an english nerd you know (laughs) so fucking cool but yeah this thing is touring uh it's near me in a few weeks i think it's near you not long after i will email you the dates and let's see if we can go see it i would love that I do love the, I do love the idea that uh, the, the the through line on hosts of this show is um, personal nihilism and uh, individual optimism for all those around <laughs> us and everyone listening. <laughs> right, team carrying to the void. We're up with people, just not ourselves. Sometimes we're we're helping. We're just helping lift them up first, and then and then we'll they'll they'll reach a hand down to us, and we'll all be fine. <laughs> right. I I actually have a brief sidebar which speaks very much to that kind of aesthetic. There's a game coming out, I think, next month, which looks lovely, called The Entropy Center, uh, which I may have talked to you about before, which is a reverse first-person shooter. The idea is that it is the nearest future, the sun has just gone supernova, Earth has been cooked, and it's okay, because you've got this gun that fixes things. And as near as I can tell, it's powered by entropy energy, so basically the more times you fuck up, the more you can repair with the gun. And as someone who has face planted in so many games i once played a wwe game where i was really happy i was doing so well before i realized i had been controlling the wrong character for an hour and a half oh no that's too long oh yeah but there are there were two moments in the trailer for the entropy center that absolutely sold me firstly your gun has a perky little emoji ai on the back of it and at one point in the trailer you fall down the shaft and come to and the gun is a little while away a little, a little way away and its voice goes statistics show you have probably survived and the screen cuts to a pair of clapping hands going hooray and it instantly i was like that is very charming and then later on there's a moment where you swing into a, a, a room full of motivational posters one of which has the phrase if no one has come back from the future to stop you how bad can it be <laughs> and when this game comes out i need to find more wall space 
I think. That has the same feel as seeing Portal for the first time and then immediately buying many things off of Etsy. Yes, this is a wall game. This is a, a, yes. a, a take some things down and put them up forever in your room. Yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> oh, fully sold on that. It's not just us, buddy. There's other people out there like this, too. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, that hit. Okay. Do you have a story for us this week? No, I would choose not to be perceived any further. <laughs> Very well. Thanks, everyone. I, I've got one that uh, similarly is, is about the net that catches everything. Um, so uh, there have been some recent developments in the world of black holes. Apparently, the theory now seems to be for a sect of scientists that if you enter a black hole, anything that enters it uh, improbably is actually going to come back out. And here is why. And this is from an article in Popular Mechanics. Uh, Caroline Delbert covered this. It's, it's sort of a question like, think about our universe. Is our reality the most basic level that exists? To suss that out, we can make analogies to other varieties of things. When you use a computer, you don't believe what you see on the screen is the fundamental and bottommost me mechanism at play. You know there's code, several layers, in fact, of increasing abstraction, and the code ultimately boils down to electrical pulses, etc., some experts use a similar kind of reasoning to plumb the idea that we are not the bottom of our own reality stack. Black holes are an example of this thinking because they don't act like anything we've ever discovered. And how things fall into black holes has implications for many other questions about the nature of reality. In some way or another, space-time itself seems to fall apart at a black hole, implying that space-time is not the root level of reality, but an emergent structure of something deeper. Although Einstein conceived of reality as this geometry of space-time, his theory also entails the dissolution of space-time, which is also ultimately why information can escape a gravitational prison. Now, scientists have found a special case of a black hole that casts this into question. These black holes are, quote, extremely old, which have never thought about the ages of black holes, but sure. Uh, I, I don't think you can cut them in half like a tree and count the rings, but... Uh, and whatever mechanism has previously confined mass inside of them has not just stopped working in these old guys, uh, but has even reversed. Uh, the whole transforms from a hermit kingdom to a vigorously open system, uh, Dr. Musser from this university explains what? Uh, in a sentence that no one can ever match. Uh, this all suggests that black holes are kind of like the mailbox on your local corner, where mail only goes in until at some point, the box is so full that its mouth no longer works just one way. In theoretical physics, though, scientists believe black holes approaching the end of their, quote, empty space, which, what a way to define the passage of time. I'm not old, I'm just moving towards empty space. Black holes approaching their empty space can make a kind of quantum pocket dimension where they effectively nullify anything that's trying to knock them off course. This is a huge mystery, and new research hasn't spoken to it enough, but, like, there's a bunch of people working on it. So this all sort of ends with, if very old black holes end up slackening in a way, that tells scientists something about the way they work in the first place. Uh, the findings are so straightforward and simple that they don't have the tendrils towards a deeper, more microscopic understanding that the researchers had hoped for. Uh, so, yeah, the idea that eventually a black hole sort of gets full and works in the other direction, that's a very interesting way of, of looking at it, that, like, even a black hole eventually just gets tired of this shit uh is is fascinating to me uh maybe creates a pocket dimension maybe is just like nope this is one way turn back around but only the older ones that yeah once once a black hole becomes a cynic 
that's that's when <laughs> tearing you apart and sending you to another dimension. That's that's all over and done with. They simply do not have the time to be bothered with that. So here's here's my caring to go with that one. Theories are theories, and nothing more. It's simply fanfic. It's spitting out a vague description of what you see and daring the universe to maybe hopefully prove you right. You are almost certainly wrong. Just ask that dude that Plato met in the cave who was doing shadow puppetry for his pals. Great goof on everyone else. Hilarious set. What you don't do enough of is taking stock of the theory of you. Others have perhaps defined some lanes for your path, which are at their best. Their theories projected onto your space. Don't fall for that even if that shadow does indeed look like a bunny rabbit. Never trust a bunny rabbit. No, the theories of others exist only for you to debunk them yourself, and nothing slices through that like butter faster than your own theory. The theory of you should be etched out, it should be practiced, it should be carved into stone. Live it out and spend your days proving why the others had bad maths. Live the theory of you so completely that scientific consensus must agree. This is empirically the fact of you. I am knocked on my ass. I, I <laughs> fucking love that shit. That, that level of, of cosmological architecture. The first place my brain went was, okay, so the single largest predatory mechanism in known space science is actually preservatory. <laughs> what if the fucking vaults what if it? What what if it's just like? Oh no! This is where you hide the stuff you want for the next version. Ah, oh, I love that. What if black holes are all just individual museums? Have you played the Stanley Parable? Yes, I love the Stanley Parable. That that's like the first place my 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 brain went. Here is a video game, which is also a museum about the making of the video game. <laughs> oh, that is my new favorite thing, Brock. Thank you. Absolutely, this has been a good day. It really has. Um, do you have a sharing into the void for us on this one? Uh, sharing today, uh, putting out there the uh, the video game Carrion. I might have mentioned it before in the show. It's available on just about every platform. Uh, you play basically uh, a creature like the Blob that escapes from an underground lab, and you are trying to escape the lab uh, by sneaking around and eating scientists and soldiers and growing ever larger. Um, I, I've been waiting for it for about four years when it finally came out, and it did not disappoint. And oddly, the the backstory on the blob itself and how it came to be is bizarrely heartwarming and heartbreaking. Uh, and uh, the rest of the time, you're made of tendrils and slither in the darkness. And, uh, you know, we're just in a world surrounded by so many monsters that it sometimes feels really good to be the monster. So, yeah, Carrion, it's probably $15 on just about every system. It's well worth your time, especially if you're the sort of person who listens to this show. I believe there's also festive DLC for it as well. <laughs> My point of really fully appreciating it was when they released uh, 50 copies of the soundtrack on vinyl, and each one cost $666 and was filled with actual blood. Uh, so, yes! Yeah, I, I, I think from the the musician or from the developers yeah uh only them and the flaming lips have ever released uh albums filled with blood wayne from the flaming lips released one and like i appreciated that one at the time because they could not find an american manufacturer willing to be like we're not putting blood in a thing i'm sorry so they had to go looking pretty far and wide to get that one taken care of so it's just concert right now it's blood it's blood 
Oh, that that's I'm always there for committing to the bit on that level. That is that is next level. I love that. <laughs> it was also a very difficult day for me because it's like there's no world in which I could spend six hundred and sixty six dollars on this. But I did look at it for the first minute it was up for sale and was like, you'll never have another chance at something like that. Like if if I also want to commit to the bit, maybe we don't pay rent this month. It's fine. I'm right there with you. Some some time ago I had I had a similar version of that conversation with myself over, and these are words it feels weird to even say out loud in a chain. The Lego Optimus Prime. No, any Lego thing, the Lego Arkham Asylum from 15 years ago, I look it up on eBay all yeah. the time. And yeah, yeah <laughs> I, I looked at the, the Lego Optimus for a long time, and then I went, you know what? No, I could stretch to it, but at the same time, I don't have any room. And then my brain instantly smash cut three years ahead to now out Lego Swerve. Oh, God damn it. Just send me three. <laughs> you know, I'll take as many as you have. Thank you. Do you have a uh, sharing it in the void for this week? I do. There is a TV show that just started over here with absolutely no promotion at all called The Lazarus Project. With, I'm one episode in, and it is basically a uh, person of color-centric, grumpy, covert ops quantum leap. Okay. Well, that, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. A government agency discover and guard a singularity that is essentially a video game save point for time. If, when things go bad, they can roll the planet back to that point, carrying with them the memories of what they fucked up. The main character is played by fantastic actor called Papa Esiadu, and he's one of a very small amount of people who can naturally sense when this happens. So when something bad happens, one of the uh, members of the Lazarus Project basically shows up and goes, All right, son, you're hired. Come with me. And walks him through how to be a covert ops guy. Except he's also an app developer and general amiable idiot who's very much kind of, this is, is this bad? This feels very bad. <laughs> and all of that would be fun by itself, but the dialogue in this thing absolutely sparkles. I'm one episode in, and I, I actually wrote down two exchanges. They were so much fun. Uh, one of which has, um, in the initial, welcome to the larger universe conversation he has with his fantastically grumpy handler played by Anjali Mahindra at one point he says so why didn't you go back and stop COVID and she looks him in the eyes and goes you got a vaccine in nine months what makes you think we didn't and he's like okay and um, he's, he asks a couple of questions about how the singularity actually works and she says oh we can, we can basically access any point in time and he says, and he responds with, "So you could go back to the 1800s." And this Bradfordian uh, lady of, 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 like I say, this Bradfordian POC lady looks him straight in the eyes and goes, "I'm a brown woman. Why the fuck would I want to?" Perfect. And there is this moment where you can see him going, "I have fucked all the way up." <laughs> and he's like, "You know what? Fair enough." And they move on. It's, it's a really, really good time. Um, are we doing a self-caring this week as well? Sure, let's do that. What do you got? Folks, for the love of fuck, wear a hat. Seriously. Uh, it's hot as shit out here right now. And um, a couple of weeks back, I couldn't get to sleep before 4 a.m. I felt awful. Skin was tight. I was hot. I couldn't slow my breathing. I was hyper aware of my heart rate. And it kind of fucked me up because it felt exactly like it did before I got the CPAP machine about 18 months ago. So, of course, my brain, a very specific part of my brain, part of my brain a couple of months ago when I couldn't find my water bottle went, hey, you know who stole that? Demons. Okay. When, yeah, you're never going to sleep again. The CPAP machine stopped working. And it, like I say, it took till 4 a.m. And at 4 a.m., I finally flipped my brain the bird, took a herbal sleep pill, and knocked myself entirely out. And then the next morning, my partner looked at me and went, the top of your head's really red. And I was like, oh, fucking heat stroke. And I have worn a hat outside ever since. 
Wear a hat, folks. Hydrate. <laughs> Heat stroke socks. Um, well, I, I, I know everyone knows what I'm talking about uh, when I say that, uh, hey, you know that feeling when your country shows the world its whole ass? Uh, I think that we mm-hmm. uh, bring that up almost weekly in, in terms of, of our respective places, but um, America is really, really pulling that one off on an epic scale right now. Um, I'm spending a lot of time just reminding myself um, that you're not your country. That's not your identity. You're, you're, you're not your city. You're not responsible for that. You are not the person in charge of that. You, you do not control that. You aren't your friend group or your job or your pay grade or, or whatever. You're just you. And sometimes it's nice. It is nice to feel so small. Uh, because everything can be very large, and I can I have a lot of inclinations of grandeur of of what I think I might be able to accomplish or how I will help. Boy, does that worm into a journalist brain uh, when you're like, I think I could go do this, and certainly if I didn't believe it on some level, I probably wouldn't run a publication. But it is nice at the end of the day to sometimes sit there, and especially when everything is on fire for something that you wish to God no one had to deal with. It's nice to remember that you're just a person and that you don't have to have those values just because somebody else said it. You can continue living as you live and try to find ways to help people on on the scale of you. And I'm having to breathe that into me because otherwise I'm just signing up to volunteer too many places and donating money that I absolutely do not have and just sort of... a. I, I'm I'm very good at spiraling and losing my mind about things on a national scale because not only do I care about so many people, but also I, I believe that somehow I'm the one that could do something. And you can still think that, but it's nice to remember at the end of the day that you're just you're just you, and and this isn't your fault. And uh, I'm not America, and that's 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 nice to keep steady enough to be able to then go actually do the good things. Yeah. You're you, uh, and that's that's your identity, and you can be whatever you want, and then go, go help. Uh, that's that's what I'm repeating into a mirror as if I'm saying Candyman this week. I I needed to hear that today. Thank you, buddy. Uh, you also put me in mind of something another friend of mine said, which is yes, every fight is on, and everyone is needed. Pick a fight, just one, because I've I have the same instinct you two. You, you you do, you know, the whole, oh, I'll donate money I don't have, oh, I'll volunteer for all of these things, and you can do that, and it won't do anything. Pick one thing and do that. And honestly, knowing you and knowing what you do and the people that you employ and the voices that you bring into the world, you, you're doing a good job, sir. Not good enough. Yeah, right? Like, I could do more. <laughs> and that's what brings me back every Monday morning, so... Uh, I'm I'm trying very hard to practice being Sam Wilson, not Steve Rogers. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm trying real real hard to to kind of live live a life which is not defined by the phrase on on your left, but rather by the phrase "Did you do another lap?" I assume you just did. Oh my god! I, I have rarely <laughs> loved a character more than than that that line in Winter Soldier where Sam's like, "Oh yeah, I do everything he does, just slower." <laughs> that speaks so much to a level of self knowledge I aspire to. That kind of yeah, I, I got it. It'll happen at my speed, but I got it. Yeah, okay. That was the self-caring we needed for the week. Why don't you take us out on that one? (laughs)
Thank you so much for listening, folks. We really appreciate it. If you possibly can, please consider leaving a review at your podcatcher of choice. I know there's like a thousand of them. You're probably listening on something really cool. If there is the capacity to leave reviews there, please do so. Any review really helps with our discoverability. If you need t-shirts or posters or notebooks, uh, our brother Jordan is absolutely the man who, for you, please check out Void Merch. There's a bunch of really cool Carrying Into the Void merchandise there as well. Uh, I, in fact, may be about to go and buy a notebook. I love my notebook. I take it with me everywhere. I got it right when he put it up the first day. I was like, give me that notebook. I'm on the show now. I feel like it's official merchandise. I feel like I've earned it. <laughs> See? You know? But yeah, if you can help out by, by that way with Jordan, please do. That would be great. Brock. I'm at Brock Wilbur uh, on all platforms. My publication you can find at thepitchkc.com. We cover Kansas City news and some national stuff, and uh, we're a, a really sardonic yet hopeful group of people. It's like if a newspaper uh, listened to this show. So <laughs> I, I hope that uh, I hope that that's what regional news really needs right now. Anyway, uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you so much, folks. You can find me on Twitter at Alistair Stewart. Do please follow along. I promise not all of it is incoherent rage shrieking. Sometimes I also post cat videos. Thank you so much. We really appreciate your time. We will see you next time. But before then, please remember to keep your hearts dark and true and your teeth sharp and many. And we'll see you next time in the book. Bye, 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 bye. <laughs>